Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome to the Focus on One podcast. Very nice to have you. And Sir Badminton of Bitcoin, welcome. Thank you very much. Or also known as Hodler Than Thou. Indeed. And also known as Badders. <laughs> yeah, let's be casual about it. <laughs> so let's explain what this all means to everyone, please. My, my handle, um, well, my handle itself refers to my, my, my past as a holier-than-thou sort of metropolitan lefty, uh, which I'm still trying to recover from. And the hodler is a sort of uh, term that we use within the Bitcoin space for somebody who holds Bitcoin, who is not in the market for selling. And the hodler came about as a misspelling once, didn't it? Quite right. There was a Reddit, uh, a Reddit post where somebody spelled it wrong and uh, it's just stuck. I love that. It yeah. got adopted. Yeah. Brilliant. So Bitcoin. Why Bitcoin? Why Bitcoin? It's a very good, very long-winded question. Basically, there are several reasons why. We are entering the 21st century with a money that was that came about in the 16th century and a financial and banking system that is from the early 20th century. Most of the code or all of the code in fact I think in within the financial and banking world is still something that originated in the 40s and 50s. And yeah so it's, it's, it's time for an internet money that is borderless, frictionless, censorship resistant, that is unseizable, that is immutable, and permissionless, and one that facilitates and improves trade globally for both individuals and, and societies as a whole. I, I, I don't think Bitcoin of as much as uh, an investment as I think of it as a tool to further uh, our societies and the human race. And of course, that sounds possibly hyperbolic, for people that haven't looked into Bitcoin, but it really is an improvement on money as we know it. It is an evolution and it is inevitable as far as I see it. So it's interesting that you're, you're talking about the history and that we're using a currency or using a financial system that's be, that was originated probably hundreds of years ago, but most last improved in the 40s, 50s. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it has been changed all along, uh, little by little. I mean, in, I, I like to try, I'm not always successful, but I, I, I like to try to mimic some of the great uh, inquisitive minds by using first principles to kind of get to some truths. And one of the reasons I love the premise of your show, because why is the most educative question. Um, and first principles is about never really stopping asking that question. So for each layer you unravel, you keep on asking the question and you dive deeper and deeper in. So you could say, uh, we, could, we could talk about what, why we have the sort of need for, for, for a different type of money and then we can delve a bit further back after that. So there is, there are several different ways why we need, or, or several different reasons why we need a new money. Uh, one of the main reasons in, 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 in my mind is that it basically excludes a lot of, a lot of the world. I, I think we are counting close to 2 billion people that are, don't even have a bank account, that are completely unbanked. Bringing those people into a financial system will obviously add a huge net good to the world. But also there is an issue of surveillance. This is not often talked about in terms of money, but, uh, and, and some people that listen to this, they might question this and go, oh, this is, you know, this is a bit tin hat or whatever. But try looking at it through the prism of being in another country than where you are right now. If you're in a Western 
privileged a privileged sort of society try to think of this through the prism of being in South America for example Venezuela Chile Argentina where there you know lots of places where there are currency devaluations all the time oppressive uh, governments um, you can come closer to home I mean uh, look at what's been happening in Hong Kong over the past year or two where through their monetary uh, or through their financial system they've been able to basically sort of deplatform i suppose um if you think of uh, the financial system as a platform deplatform dissenting voices very easily by cutting off access to their money um you get closer to home again turkey bring it back even closer the catalan independence party or independence movement the sort of yeah, this sort of really um, strong, strong-armed ways in which the Spanish government, they are able to surveil and control um, what they see as dissenting voices. Think forward to what might happen if the Scottish devolution movement gains strength. Uh, will a UK government sort of just let that happen? Will they try to control it in the ways that they can through various forms of surveillance? So how does this surveillance take place? I mean, there, there are three main ways in which it happens. One is that they can gauge and surveil your network, who you're interacting with financially, all of these sort of things. They can see the contents of your purchases. And, and finally, and this is something a lot of people don't think about, is your geographical location. And for me, that is, uh, as an idealist, penalizing democratic expression should never be possible, whether that is through control of money or, or anything else. But, but sadly, this is possible right now. So we only have... Um, fairly short time to cover a, a lot of uh, a lot of subjects individual subjects with under the bitcoin header so i shall stop there they're probably going to be really crucial things i'm leaving out but I, you know you could possibly do a whole show on this just on its own what are some of the other ways in which money is not working for us anymore inflation we are told that that we, we are aiming for a sort of 2.2 uh, or 2% inflation rate per year, and that is a good thing for the economy because it stimulates the economy and all these sorts of things. In my, in my optics, I see that as primarily working for the government. Any government that's laden with debt, this works for them. A lot of libertarians, though I don't subscribe to any ism per se, uh, a lot of libertarians consider inflation theft. And I can see why people, they, they, uh, they think that. I mean, 2% in a year, I think in real terms it's a lot more than 2%. But 2% is what the CPI is telling us. Uh, other much more educated financial uh, and economic minds would tell you that uh, the CPI is manipulated in its own ways. They choose areas of the economy to feature in the CPI that suits their particular end result, if you like. But let's ignore that for the minute because over 10 years, if you, if you, if you consider 2% what is happening, over 10 years, that is all of a sudden 20%. So what do you what would you do in a zero percent or negative interest economy? How do you go about alleviating the problem of uh, your money being devalued all the time as a, a as a saver, um, as an investor? And you're forced to find ways of outperforming inflation which in turn leads to lots of malinvestments. You know, people, uh, there's a risk to every investment you make. Not everyone can be as educated about investing as, uh, as what is ideal. 
And most investors, they have a full-time job at the same time. I mean, so all of a sudden you expect it to be a property expert or an equities expert or a commodities expert or something alongside of your job as a school teacher or as a, a brain surgeon or things that take lots of your time. Malinvestments aren't good for the economy long term, but also it leads to asset bubbles. You know, most people, they don't think about why it is that their property keeps on going up in value. They see it in nominal terms and they think that that's money in their pocket. They don't think that uh, about the purchasing power they have lost in the same amount of time that their property has been going up. But asset bubbles in real estate and equities, other, loads of other sectors, they happen because people are forced to put their money into places where they, it will perform better than um, the money that they are losing. But of course, that creates or is part of creating inequality and all sorts of other issues. And also bubbles leads to busts and that is also not good for individuals and others. I, I'm sure that most property investors, I have a pro property portfolio myself, uh, if I was still getting I'm too young to remember sort of 10, 12% savings rates. But if you were getting that, would I, would I be in property at all? I don't think so, because ideally, or as an, as an idealist, I don't really like the thought of investing in something that is a sort of human basic need. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to that in, further on. And I'm going to hopefully trigger a few people here because uh, I'm trying to be provocative now. But I do think uh, Bitcoin has the propensity over the next 10 to 20 years to basically gobble up a lot of value that is currently in real estate, that is currently in equities and all sorts of other places. Uh, because ultimately, people, they want the fastest horse. These last 11 years, Bitcoin has by far been the fastest horse, and I think it will continue to be so for, for, for a very long time. But anyway, we can come back to that. Yeah, I think what the, probably the best thing to do right now is just to go, what is Bitcoin? Let, mm -hmm. Let's do a sort of a, a dummy's guide, sure. should we say. Well, I'll give, a very quick, I'll give a very quick explanation, which is that Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer -peer digital money. If people are not familiar with P2P technology, it is basically a digital transfer of binary information between two parties without the need for a trusted third party. We have seen this, we've seen P2P technology revolutionize the music industry, of which I was a part for, for many years. So it is a decentralized framework for exchanging value. The way that that technically works, and I want to go back to looking at why is it we have a need for money in the first place, how does that, how, how is that come about? But the way that it works is that you have a protocol, which is Bitcoin, and then you have a token on the protocol which is also called Bitcoin. I, you can think of it a little bit maybe as the vine, which is the protocol, and the grapes as Bitcoin the token, perhaps. And this is a protocol that is set in stone. It's a, con a consensus mechanism. So everyone that runs this particular protocol are agreeing to the social consensus rules of which there are a number. So there are lots of different nodes within the network. I think we're in the six, we're in the six figures now globally. Every node, I have one over in the corner there with a the blue light running, the protocol that we're talking about. And in order for anything to change within the protocol, every node in the entire system has to run 
and change and run the same or upgrade to a new protocol around the same time for it to ever happen. So this means that it's incredibly difficult to change anything on the protocol. And it's incredibly difficult, well, it's impossible to hack. So when people talk about Bitcoin has been hacked or whatever, Bitcoin, the network, has never, ever been hacked. It's unhackable. I mean, even with uh, quantum computing and all these sort of things, it's, I believe, the num you need to crack more decimal, more decimals than their atoms in the universe to be able to, to be able to crack it. So it's incredibly, incredibly safe and decentralized. We'll get to the FUD fear, uncertainty, doubt questions maybe later on, and the, the whole hacking issue is, is one of them. And so Bitcoin is the token is uh, hard capped at 21 million. Uh, at the moment, we are, the supply is 18 and a half, roughly speaking, million. And the emission schedule is hard-coded in as well. Which makes it the hardest money we've ever seen. In fact, after this last halving, which I might touch on in a second what is, uh, Bitcoin is now as hard as gold, meaning it's as difficult to mine, it's a, as difficult to produce as gold. And of course, historically, gold has always been base money. Well, not always, but for at least 5,000 years. And this hard cap is something that is baked into the protocol. So, whereas a government uh, as we have seen now during Corona and as we saw during the 2008 crisis, if all of a sudden there is a political will to print more money, put more money into circulation, it happens as easily as it is to update a, uh, a spreadsheet. All they do is put another value into their, into their ledger and they have more money on their balance sheet, meaning that they can now buy more treasuries, whatever, whatever. With Bitcoin, there will only ever be 21 million. Meaning that as more money enters the system, the value of Bitcoin only goes up. So it's deflationary in that sort of way. And it's something that is difficult to get your head around at first, but purely by holding Bitcoin over the long term, because Obviously, as, as many people will be aware of, it's at the moment it's very volatile or, and um, both up and down, but luckily mainly upwards. And so by purely holding Bitcoin, you will make money in the long term. Whereas by holding fiat, as the uh, sort of expression or name is for, for, for sort of uh, nation state currencies, uh, you only ever really lose money with inflation. So in that sense, it's, um, it's already a better system. It's unmanipulatable because the code can't be changed, the protocol can't be changed, and it gains value over time rather than losing money. There are a lot of technical questions that, you know, you could spend a whole episode on consensus rules. Some of the some of the studies I do are exactly like that. Um, but think of the Bitcoin network as TCP IP, what TCP IP is to the internet. It's the entire framework that we've built the internet on. I mean, who do you know that knows about TCP IP, let alone the uh, intricate workings of it? There's just no need. But Bitcoin now has 11 years of Lindy effect and it has only gone uh, from strength to strength in that time. So what percentage of the globe actually hold Bitcoin right now? Well, that is very, very difficult to say, but I, I wouldn't have said a guess, but, 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 but it's, it's very low. 
We're, we're certainly in the, we're, we're certainly low one digits, if that. And so we are incredibly early still. I mean, we're probably like where we were at in 1994 for the internet. The framework is there, uh, the early businesses are there, but there is a lot of growth still to happen. However, Bitcoin, like the internet, is a network effect. And we will see changes happen at an exponential rate. And we will see adoption at an, at an exponential rate. And based on the current macro, and this is something we didn't cover in, 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 in Why Bitcoin, I mean, with the current macro, anything is possible. It is so volatile out there. It's so unpredictable. You know, the, the Federal Reserve having printed trillions of dollars, in fact, printed more money in, in, in June alone than they did in the 200 years before the Federal, before the Federal Reserve. So more credit creation or whatever. Certain other things have changed. Um, just to quickly stay on that for a bit, the Federal Reserve now have no reserve requirement anymore. So where in the past they've had to hold some kind of reserve for the deposits that they're getting, now there's no reserve requirement at all. Again, if people, they have a tendency to, I'm not saying your listeners, because I'm sure they're much more sophisticated than that, but people have a tendency to forget even recent history. I mean, what happened in Greece in, uh, in 2012, where all of a sudden the all savers were bailed in or the economy was bailed in. We'll have your saving, thank you, savings, thank you, to, to save the economy. And yet another reason why it's important to hold an unseizable, unconfiscatable, whatever asset, particularly one that will carry on to go up in value as, uh, as, we, uh, as we go through the years. So you talk about exponential adoption. How are people going to become sort of educated in the Bitcoin? How are they going to be comfortable to, to adopt it as their main currency? Or you're talking about holding, but this is actually putting it into a use, a, a daily use. Sure. I mean, this is a very good question and, and a very useful one to, to, to think about. The way, I mean, this is the first time in probably 5,000 years when we've seen a free market money monetize in real time. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. I mean, that is, that is a pretty astonishing development. And of course it's going to be volatile to begin with because... Uh, there are no clear price signals because it's so it's it's so early. This is also why it's an incredible, incredibly exciting time to get involved because the returns are asymmetrical to to, to the sort of money that you you, you might invest. I said I didn't, don't consider it an investment, but the money that you might put in. And when you say asymmetrical, you're saying disproportionate to the amount of risk and the... Oh, it's, it's like never seen before. I think it's the biggest asymmetrical bet that we will, well, certainly in our lifetime, uh, much bigger than the internet. Uh, I mean, this is akin to buying a real estate in Manhattan in the 17th century or something, you know, like just after uh, Columbus came over. I mean, this is... This is buying digital real estate for the future. There's never going to be more of it. Of course, that brings some risk. But I think it's important to realize that, as I said, there's 11 years of Lindy now. Lindy effect, meaning that with the more time passes, the more the network strengthens. And the macro has changed a lot in that time. The framework has changed a lot in that time. A lot of the sort of very early a little niggles that were with the uh, code or whatever have been iron out. I mean, uh, and there are finally in these last couple of years, a lot of big, big macro names that have twigged what's going on. You know, um, Buffett famously called it, or was it Charlie Munger uh, famously called it a Bitcoin rat poison. But you know, I, I wouldn't particularly take a 90 year old's opinion on technology particularly one who's never made their investments in technology because they 
have admitted to not really getting it. But Paul Tudor Jones now, possibly the most famous and most successful macro investor of all time, has has just bought 200 millions worth of Bitcoin because he has twigged that it is not only is it a sort of smock insurance, it's an, op it's an option on the future. And also, I think it's an inevitability, to be honest with you. I've, I've now spent at least 6,000 hours l l studying Bitcoin and uh, all the associated sub subjects like distributed systems, uh, history of uh, money, game theory, etc., etc. And I just can't see a world where we're going to have autonomous cars, where longevity scientists are telling us that we will, within very short amount of time, we'll be able to live till several hundred years old. And we're still going to have a paper money that is tied to absolutely, no absolutely nothing. I mean, that seems more ludicrous than, than thinking we could have a money that exists on the internet. And just thinking about the, there's a very interesting book by Neil Howe called The Fourth Turning, which basically analyzes the world in cycles. And another book called The Sovereign Individual that is looking at the sort of super cycles. So they're looking at, because, because we tend to look at uh, the economy and our society in sort of eight to 10 year business cycles. But macro investors really look much deeper than that. So they're looking at the longest sort of 80 to 100 year business cycle. Or there's even a, a thought that there are, there is such a thing as a 500 year super cycle that defines ages, if you know what I mean. And from everything I can, can read, it, it, it's, it stands to reason that we're entering one of these new super cycles. We've had the, we've had the sort of age of industrialization for a long time. And we are now on the maybe early stages of the information age. Interestingly, that has, will probably be defined by COVID as a, as a sort of crossing. And the, and the changes, good and bad, that that will lead to. And I really believe that with a frictionless global money, we will, it will usher in a new renaissance. And it will, there is a meme within the Bitcoin space that says Bitcoin fixes this. And it's used for, for pretty much everything. But honestly, when I apply first principles to any issue, whether it's inequality or the environment or whatever, it just comes back in my mind. And I, I, I will hold my hands up and admit that I am sort of heavily invested in terms of uh, intellectual capital now. Uh, I've basically dedicated my life to my two-year-old son and to Bitcoin because I think it's the only way that I can help facilitate change at all. Voting, all of these things, I just now see as ultimately futile because whatever party you're voting for, it, their policies and politics are still based on a insidiously felonious monetary policy that benefits those closest to the spigot of money. So it's those closest to, the, to, to, to money creation that gets the benefit of the, that gets the benefit of the money early on. You know, the primary dealers, all of these sort of industries. And by the time that filters down to, to, to you and I, the purchasing power of that money has already lessened considerably. So this is a long-winded way of saying all of these things that, that in my mind create 
or is the foundation of some of the some of the problems we have or a lot of the problems we have in society can be alleviated by entering a bitcoin economy i don't want anybody to take my word for it because i i i appealed to authority for, 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 for way too long of my, in my sort of uh, adult life where I would trust certain publications or uh, certain academics and, uh, and I now realise I was foolish to do so because as soon as I started not trusting and verifying which is another B, uh, meme in the Bitcoin space is to I think maybe it was actually Reagan who, who, who came out with that uh, originally but is to don't trust, verify, you know, don't just take my word for it. If you at all think that there is, that this resonates with you in any sort of way, uh, commence your own journey. But it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be one that takes you 6,000 hours down the, the rabbit hole. Because most people, I'm, I've been privileged enough to retire in my early 30s. Um, I don't expect people to have the sort of time to invest that I've had but certainly open up your mind to Bitcoin as, a, as, 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 as the first port of call and then um, maybe as uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb says maybe, uh, maybe get a bit of skin in the game as in maybe have a, have a small exposure just because it incentivizes curiosity it incentivizes uh, learning and, and I would actually I would actually go as far as to say that it is riskier now given the 11 years of history the 11 years of Lindy and Bitcoin given the current macro I mean will equities continue to pump forever as, as far as I see it, it it's, it's, they've only continued to pump with the, with the printing that's been happening. Um, there's, it seems inevitable to me uh, that there's going to be an, an almighty crash at some point. Where do you want your money then? Yeah, you can have it in property, but I think that that's a bubble of its own as well. Uh, for, for me, it's short term, have some exposure to the dollar maybe, because... Uh, I think we're still in a deflationary moment there, and obviously, but the the trick is to 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 get shot of that before it turns into uh, an inflationary moment. But I would say primarily gold and Bitcoin. Any family office, any hedge fund, any private investor should have at least I'd say get off zero as the as as the very first step. Um, a one percent exposure. I mean, that, that has all the asymmetric benefits that you could possibly wish for in a, in a portfolio. That 1% exposure could outperform your entire portfolio over the next five to 10 years. In fact, I think it's, I think it's inevitable that it will, but again, that's just based on my own research. But if you were to say you were to lose half of that value, or even all of it, let's say. Um, I, I can't see Bitcoin ever going to zero anymore. I think those days are well, well and truly gone. But, I mean, a 1%, a 1 reduction in your portfolio is, is, is negligible. Uh, but think about the asymmetric benefits of that 1% exposure. Um, I've, I've, I've gone as far as to, I'm trying to liquidate my my property portfolio now to uh, expose myself even further to, to Bitcoin. I would say I probably have about a 30, 35% exposure of my, of my net wealth. And it's made me realize just how in, uh, illiquid property is. Mm. I mean, it's, if you really need to get rid of, if you really need to get rid of it, it's, uh, it's very difficult to. So but yes. I, I feel like uh, I, that was a that was a real rant that I probably went away from your original point there. <laughs> That's fine. No, it's, it's fine. I think something you mentioned right at the beginning about people not having access to a bank account. What was the number you said there? I think it's, the last thing I've seen is somewhere between one point seven and two point two billion people. And you said that it would have a net 
it would be net good if they did have access to a bank yeah. account. So if they haven't got access to a bank account, what's the likelihood they're going to have an access to Bitcoin at some point in the future? Well, it's huge for several reasons. I mean, already in Africa, people may or may not be aware, but already in Africa, mobile pay is, 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 is really widespread. So people without a bank account, they can, they can, they can transfer value to each other. So all you need is a, all you need is a phone. All you need is a phone and an internet connection. And then people might say, well, uh, maybe everyone doesn't, you know, everyone uh, doesn't have a phone. With the deflationary ways of technology, that will very soon change if that is at all the case. I think most people will, with certainly one within a family. And that's another thing, like the deflationary nature of technology. And, and network effects, you know, technology is a network effect. Jeff Booth in, the, in his book, The Price of Tomorrow, which I recommend as one of my four books to enlightenment, <laughs> talks about exponentiality and how we find it almost impossible to comprehend as, uh, as, as, as humans. And he uses the example of a piece of paper. So if you could, you can only fold a normal piece of A4 paper about seven times. But if you could fold it 50 times, how high, how tall a stack would it make? And most people will say, oh, I don't know, five inches, 10 inches, maybe a foot. I don't know. Fold 50 is from here to the sun, which is just mind boggling. And this is, this is how technology operates in the same way. And, and we are on about fold 35 at the minute, technologically speaking, which I think is something like the distance from uh, Chicago to, uh, to Florida, something like that. So the next step we're going to take is going to be double that distance. So just because people don't have phones right now in the, the most minuscule African villages or, or, or in the depths of Nepal or, uh, or whatever, it doesn't mean that they won't have tomorrow. That's that that that's the first thing. So how do they how do they um, get onto the Bitcoin network? Well, all they need is a mobile phone and a Bitcoin wallet, which is a downloadable app, and all of a sudden they are free to trade. Theoretically, uh, globally. So I guess that links into the, the questions earlier about the, the sort of fear, the uncertainty and the doubt. Mm. If it's all on your phone, mm. how safe is that? Okay, so there are many different ways, and this is coming down, down to the sort of uh, practicalities of, of, of Bitcoin. There's something called a soft wallet and something called a hard wallet. Now, a soft wallet is something you can have on your phone or your computer. They are fine for your sort of daily walking around money. And in, in fact, they're, 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 pretty, they're pretty damn safe. But I like to consider my node combined with my hardware wallet as my own central bank. It's completely autonomous, completely safe. Now, because I mean, my, my hardware wallet is offline. So it, that's completely untamperable with, if that's even a word. Now, um, a soft wallet is not as safe as that, but it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty safe. And what happens is you download a software wallet, you get what's called a seed phrase, which is a 12 or 24 word passphrase that will in case you lose your phone, in case your app corrupts, in case your phone gets stolen, whatever, whatever. It is a way that you can download that app again and retrieve your wallet with all your funds intact. Now, there is some good housekeeping and, or some good sort of rules of thumb to stick to when, you're, when you have your money on a, on, a, on a sort of internet accessible device. And that is to, you know, do as little do as little with it on public internet connections as possible you know use trusted wi-fis because it, you minimate you mitigate or minimize the risk of 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 you being being tampered with but the better option and as i have 
as I said, possibly more than a third, depending on the Bitcoin ticker price today, more than a third of my net value. I have to think about security in a different way than if I had invested 500 quid that was sitting on a, on a mobile wallet. So I have a hardware wallet, which is a basically a USB type of device that is completely impervious to any kind of outside tomfoolery and you can keep in your safe or you can keep in another country or whatever. I also have what's called a multi-sig system, which is, again, all of this, if, you're not, if you haven't been exposed to this, even setting up a hardware wallet or a software wallet can seem intimidating. When you get down to it, it's no more difficult than any other app that you will set up, whether that's your HMRC code generator or your internet banking or whatever. In fact, I, I, I got a new internet banking app the other day. It took me more than an hour to set up. I watched my 80-year-old friend the other day buy Bitcoin and set up a software wallet in no more than 15 minutes. So don't be intimidated. But I have, I've gone the extra step and I have a multi-sig system, which means that you have five hardware wallets and you need three of them to sign off on any transaction. I then have them dispersed over different geographical locations. Because I firmly see that this next cycle that we're entering now, in fact, I firmly see Bitcoin hitting a, I mean, before we get a blow off top, I think we will see somewhere between $200,000 and $400,000 per Bitcoin value. And currently we are trading at 11.2, I think, this morning. I don't know when this is going out, but you can, you can, you can see the uh, asymmetrical uh, returns on that. So when Bitcoin is all of a sudden several hundred thousand and on the cycle beyond that, maybe a couple of million, per Bitcoin, how do you want to, I mean, Bitcoin, self-custody of Bitcoin comes with immense personal responsibility, which is something we seem to have lost. Personal responsibility seems to have, to have become a taboo sort of right-wing word, but I am firmly in the camp that I trust myself with my money more than I trust anyone else. But, but I mean, you don't have to do that. There are some very good trusted third parties that will custody your Bitcoin for you. If you don't feel like you are technolo technologically savvy enough to, 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 to enter the space, there are, P there are places like uh, Gemini and Grayscale and some other different funds that will uh, make it easy for you to invest your money uh, and will custody your Bitcoin in a very, very safe and trusted way. So the barrier to entry is being lowered all the time. Uh, I would still recommend self-custody because that is kind of the ethos of Bitcoin in the first place, I think. But I understand that if we're going to see mass adoption, self-custody is not going to be for everyone. So you talked about surveillance at the beginning and, and the importance of, of having that privacy mm -hmm. and hence why you're using sort of your your names mm -hmm. here because of the privacy mm -hmm. it's more than that obviously because you you don't want to be you're not going to be hacked but it's mm -hmm. just having that ability to be more private in your in your investments yes and um i mean this it's it sounds slightly dichotomous because bitcoin is on a transparent ledger uh, this is something I didn't touch on because there are so many things to say earlier when we talked about what is Bitcoin. But what is shared between all the different nodes within the network is a ledger of all transactions historically. And everyone holds the same copy. Everyone has their copy updated at the same time. So you could argue that Bitcoin isn't private at all because it is transparent. 
Now, there are some tools coming in, such as Taproot and other things that will make Bitcoin more private. You can coin join, which means that you can enter your Bitcoins into a mixer with other people's coins. You can take back a number of coins that weren't yours to begin with. There are ways of making it more private. But it is tied to a wallet. It isn't tied to an identity. And that is the big difference. So I, as an individual, can, if I was in Hong Kong, I could make my political feelings be known without being worried that they might tie my identity to my Bitcoin transactions. Now, eventually with various forms of chain analysis, it might be possible. And if you leak too much personal information generally online, they might be able to deduct what wallet you're tied to. But no, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a transparent ledger, which is important because as institutions, they get more and more involved. You don't want to see some of the same problems we've seen with gold and equities and where, where things are being rehypothecated all the time. So they might issue several claims to, to the same equity or to the same bit of gold allocation. Um, if you don't have transparency on, the, on, on, the, on layer one, you won't be able to verify all the time that no more Bitcoin is artificially created on paper uh, than what is there in reserves. And this, while I'm on that, it's a slightly meandering conversation, but there are just so many things to, to talk about. The way money monetizes on the free market where monetary good monetizes is that it starts as a sort of a collectible, so a curiosity, you know, which it would have been very, very early days when Bitcoin was a fraction of a cent and hardly anyone was were mining. And then slowly that sort of starts changing and becomes a store of value. And I think we're very, very firmly within that epoch now where we're we're doing a, a we're in the middle of store of value and uh, people might find that difficult to believe with the with, with the um, with the volatility that we're still seeing because after all it was only the 12th of march that we saw bitcoin go down to 4000 with the general crash that we were seeing in equities as well with the s&p 500 whatever the dow but each year we have higher lows historically. So that is, that is the trend line to look at. Uh, and that will, that will get even more, the, the volatility will contract and it will be even more of a store of value. It will be uh, globally considered a store of value. And not until that has happened can it become a medium of exchange properly and a unit of account. But the way that I see it, Bitcoin never has to leave store value stage because all that it has, the only, the way that I consider Bitcoin is gold bars. Bitcoin in my mind is gold bars, certainly right now. It's base money. There can be another, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter what the layer two money is. You know, we had layer gold and there were sort of other monetary metals like silver and copper that were layer two technology to, because that was the only small enough denominator to kind of be able to pay with. So if it becomes Libra, which you might have heard of, which is Facebook's cryptocurrency, or even if it becomes like Bank of England coin or ECB coin or um, IMF coin or whatever, Fed coin, whatever it might become they can continue to play their monetary manipulation game if the base money underneath keeps rising in value, keeps being an impeccable store of value, I'm happy to cash out of my base money once in a while to, to gain some layer two money, whatever that shitcoin, as it's called in the space, uh, you know, a sort of nation state shitcoin it's going to be, that will work fine because against that Bitcoin, my gold bars, my digital gold bars are going to be performing just outrageously well.
how does how do you stop sort of money laundering entering into the Bitcoin space? This is a this is a perfect sort of fud question. Uh, you know, the 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 mainstream media will mainly write about how Bitcoin is used by money launderers and drug dealers, uh, whatever. My answer is the criminal money of choice has always been the United States dollar. Wherever there's money, there's going to be a certain percentage of it which is operated uh, sort of criminally. But, you know, for decades it's been suitcases worth of money being flown around the world or going offshore or whatever. It is no bigger problem than it is already. And, in fact, with the blockchain itself being, well, immutable, so unchangeable, but also transparent, it will be much easier to try to track large criminal networks than it will through what we currently know as fiat cash money. So I don't see that being a problem at all. Certainly no more than it is now. And I think whatever money you have, you can never... Crime is part of the human condition. You know, it's, it's always going to exist. And no, no matter of surveillance, uh, whether that is uh, financial surveillance or, or, or otherwise, will circumnavigate that or alleviate that. If we're going to see another renaissance, if we're going to see serious, serious systemic change that will eventually be for the better, I think it's very plausible that we will also see some uh, significant turmoil and volatility. I mean, we're already seeing it, aren't we? Another piece of FUD. People like to uh, write about how Bitcoin uses more energy than Ireland or whatever it is. And for that reason alone, we can never use it. The truth, though, is that Bitcoin uses 80% renewable energy now. And you talked about the super cycles and, and the big ages that we've mm. gone through. And you're talking about the renaissance of, of this next age that sort of not quite finished with the information age, but there is definitely a new one coming. And I've talked about this with other guests on the show. And from whatever industry or perspective they're, they're coming from, they see it differently and see mm. where it might be. It might be a compassionate age. It might mm. be a collaborative age. Mm. But if you're saying that we're sort of at a stage of fold 35 or 50, mm. we're not that far off moving into this next super cycle. Mm. And we might even see it in our own lifetime. I, I believe we will, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a name for it? Do you? Well, I think it's going to be the digital age. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're sort of, we've had a taste for that. Um, I think it's entirely likely that we will come to see the internet as, as not the vehicle for cat videos or online shopping or anything like that. But I think it's very realistic that in, that, as I said, I have a two-year-old, that when he is my age, that he will look back on the internet and see Bitcoin as being the main use case of the internet. Uh, that almost that the internet was born for this global, immutable, unhackable system. And it doesn't have to just be money that we put on the blockchain. It can be property documents or personal medical records or whatever. Um, that we need to keep really safe. It can, be, it can be loads of things, and I think we haven't even... Money is the base case for, for the Bitcoin blockchain. I don't consider any other cryptocurrency out there valid. But, so, 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 so money is the base case right now, but it, can, it will usher in all sorts of, uh, of changes. It will, it will rid us... Uh, of of all sorts of third party control uh, that that we that we now have, 
And if you're spreading that information out over a, a, a hugely decentralized network, the safest, most decentralized network we've ever known to map, that really is a game changer and a disruptor for loads of industries. So you mentioned right at the beginning that it's taken you 6,000 hours of investment to, mm -hmm. to get to this point. And you had the luxury of having that time mm -hmm. to, to spend the time on that. And also that it was a choice for you to be able to then invest the money that you've got in, in whichever ways you want and to avoid those malinvestments. What would you say to someone at the starting point who is thinking, actually, a lot of what you've been saying today makes a lot of sense to me. Where would I go? Well, it depends on how curious you are. Um, it depends on how hungry you are for understanding um, the detail. And I guess why you want to be doing this. Exactly. What, what is your incentive? And, 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 and again, you know, when we're talking about why Bitcoin, we, we were talking about uh, sort of uh, nation state surveillance. We're talking about inflation. We're talking about uh, centralized manipulation of money, these sort of things. But another thing is what we in the, in the space called number go up technology. I mean, it's fine to get involved with pure speculation. Most Bitcoiners get involved because of number go up. And um, yes, if, you, if, if you're in it for a short-term play, chances are that you could lose money because short-term it could be volatile. But if you're in it for, and, and Bitcoin tends to work historically in four-year cycles. If you are in it for at least a four-year cycle, I'll, I'll almost... I'll almost make a bet with you um, that you, you will see incredible gains in that time. So it really depends on your, on your motivation. If you just want to get involved, if you just want to ex get some exposure as an option on the future, as a stake in this digital real estate, I would say download a wallet that can be blue wallet or green wallet. They're not all called, uh, named by colors, uh, but those two happen to be, and they're incredibly good. They're very, very simple, they're very straightforward, but they're also very robust. Um, you can download those off the App Store and it will take you through, I think it's about four or five clicks and you're ready to go. Most of those wallets, you can buy Bitcoin through. Otherwise, you can go to coinfloor.co.uk. I don't know whether most of your listeners are, are, are UK-based. Oh, at the moment, they're across 53 different countries. So okay. it's US, uh, UK are, are the biggest ones, but we've got all sorts of all across the world. So. Okay. Well, in that case, I'd say uh, as a UK purchaser, I would go to coinfloor.co.uk, which is the most liquid longest running exchange and I happen to know the founder personally who is a very very conscientious person and in it for all of the right reasons and also they're bitcoin only which sort of stops people being tempted to have punts on other things that will I think undoubtedly lose the money bitcoin is the way to go in the US I would go to swan bitcoin and in Australia, there's Amber. In mainland Europe, there's Relay. So R-E-L-A-I dot C-H. Uh, Relay is possibly the best one of them all because they, under 5,000, there is no KYC other than your phone number. So there's no tie. There's nothing to tie you to that Bitcoin. Whereas the others, they have to conform with uh, any money laundering uh, directives. I don't know how they are. It, there must be some specific Swiss uh, legislation that avoids this. And then I would just get some skin in the game. I mean, nothing incentivizes learning as, as having skin in the game. And it might start off with 100 euros or 100 pounds, $100 in Bitcoin. And that makes you look at the price a bit more regularly. 
And as you see it go up, you might be more incentivized to read a bit more about it, whatever. So that is a very good way to do it. You can contact me on Twitter at hodler, H-O-D-L-E-R, than thou. And I'm always very happy to DM with people. My DMs are always open. Uh, as an evangelical, I, uh, I, I see it as my uh, sort of mission, missionary duty to kind of uh, spread the word and help. Any communities that you would recommend, any sort of forums that you get good information from? Well, Twitter is mainly a dumpster fire, I think, but Bitcoin Twitter is incredible. The intellectual capital that is in this space is so humbling. You come into Bitcoin thinking that uh, you know you might have been in the top of your class, or you might you might fancy yourself as fairly clued up, and nothing has humbled me more than 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 being part of Bitcoin. There are some incredible minds, and they're from all areas. You know, I have friends that are brain surgeons. I have friends that are multi uh, responsible for multi-billion uh, dollar hedge funds and people like me who are sort of like uh, just invest investors for their personal re you know for their personal needs but really the the one thing that that everyone has in common is that they are critical thinkers to the extreme and they are disagreeable to the extreme and I think in order to really unravel things, you have to be disagreeable. You have to be curious. You have to be, you have to want to look at the flip side of anything that you are, that you are sort of presented, presented. And so Bitcoin, Twitter, but I mean, how do you access that? You, you have to kind of fo follow some particular people and that will inevitably lead you to, to, to the sort of community. But, you know, you could you could start by seeing who I follow uh, if if you really wanted to, and you can see whether some of those voices they resonate with you or or, or not. Uh, but uh, and another sort of uh, common denominator is that we are inherently apolitical. I think most Bitcoiners feel either scorned or disappointed, uh, exasperated with uh, the status quo of politics. Uh, the absolute ineptitude of, 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 of sort of centralised governance and um, want to try to find alternatives for, 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 for all the ills that they see in the world. Um, and as I've said several times, I, I feel like Bitcoin is the, it's the sort of fertile soil, if you like. It's the fer fertile soil for a lot of new, better frameworks to, to, to sprout and grow. And you mentioned also that there are four books of enlightenment. Would you mention them for the audience? Yeah, I mean, and this is to my own personal enlightenment and uh, even saying that sort of insinuates that I'm in any way enlightened. And I, I, I still consider, my, I try to consider myself always the, the biggest idiot in the room because if you if you at all ever think that you you know anything uh, that is that is the pillow that will end up suffocating you uh, and stop your personal progress so uh, it's just the four books that have really started opening my eyes two of them I've already mentioned well three of them I've already mentioned in fact so the uh, the the sovereign individual. The Sovereign Individual is written by Jacob Rees-Mogg's father, which puts a lot of people off because a lot of people, certainly within my circles, uh, being an ex-musician, uh, songwriter, uh, producer, are they have just decided that Jacob Rees-Mogg is the devil and so his dad must also be the devil. And uh, so they will not even give it uh, the, 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 the time of day. It's incredibly prophetic, this book. It was written in 1996, I believe. Basically predicts Bitcoin, predicts the turmoil we are seeing now, predicts the demise of the nation state. It is one hell of a read. It's maybe not the easiest read, but some of the ideas in there, is ju they're just uh, really, really profound. Then there is the Bitcoin standard, which is the Bible. 
within Bitcoin. Written by Seyfedina Moose, and it mainly focuses on monetary history. So how we developed money as a need for an intermediary good to kind of improve on the bartering system we had, because people will go through this, you know, how, how, how do you end up bartering if you produce cows and you need apples, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to facilitate trade that way. So, uh, and how that brought in feathers and pearls and uh, yapstones, etc. And, and, and eventually touches on why we ended up on gold, why we ended up, up, up on the gold standard and the frailties and weaknesses that gold has that meant that we left the gold standard, were able to leave the gold standard again. And that we now have a, the worst money of all time, which is a paper money that is based on absolutely nothing other than sort of the threat of state violence, if you like, and, and the confidence in the strong arm of your state being able to keep it together. And now not even a, really much of a paper, uh, but a digital representation of a paper money that is based on nothing. And then the last third, I think, of the book, or last quarter, is, is about Bitcoin, and in the many ways that that improves the tool that is money and what it will do for our society. And, you know, I urge everyone to have a critical mind and question all of these things because as a bit of a disagreeable so-and-so, I, I do that all the time. My, my first instinct is always to go, ah, that can't be right, and then look into it myself. So uh, I, I, I welcome that reaction to any of the information that I give. And the last book is uh, Jeff Booth's The Price of Tomorrow, which has blown my mind in ways that not many books uh, can. And that is basically about the deflationary nature of technology, the way in which that is going to change our world, how we shouldn't worry, I mean, almost like how some of the things we worry about now and we sort of put resources and intellectual capital into is, is, is sort of a null and void because technology will take care of it. Incredibly interesting. And a book that needs to be read four or five times to really understand the, the nuances. Well, absolutely. And I want to say thank you for condensing, distilling your 6,000 hours into minutes because it's, it's been, you know, really interesting hearing the, the frailties of the, of the global scale of, of, of where money is right now. And it's actually quite scary, to be fair. Again, I, I used to feel like that uh, until I discovered Bitcoin four years ago. I was incredibly pessimistic about the future. I mean, very optimistic about my own personal future, you know, uh, but, but, but very pessimistic about uh, the, the future of the globe as a whole. Uh, but that has in, entirely changed with, with, with Bitcoin. And uh, I feel like we have a, uh, we have a bright dawn uh, ahead of us. And I would just say to, to anyone that obviously don't trust and verify, you know, don't trust what I'm saying. Go and do your own research. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.